0: Well, I take an artist or a band and listen to their work, then I put them on a list like a music critic jerk, then I put them all in order from the best to the worst, but you probably won't like my choice for first, I don't care. You might think this idea is dumb, you're wrong, it's actually random. Random. Sorry, ladies and gentlemen, I couldn't resist that. Uh, But when you think about it, there is a theme to this week's episode of Random Album. And in case you haven't figured it out, my name is BC. Thank you for joining me. We have hit a dozen episodes. This is episode number 12 of this series. I know to people listening, that doesn't seem like much, but you know what? I take it as a celebration with each episode that comes up. And you know what? If you love doing a podcast, if you love doing something that you consider a hobby, then you revel in this. And that is what I'm doing, and that is why I bring this to you every week. Now, why did I play Peaches and Herbs' 1979 smash hit Reunited? Well, uh the random episode is not about peaches and herb. I'm so, I'm sorry if you were a fan of them and were expecting a random of this. I'm sorry, but you really should have looked at the title of this week's episode because this week I am tackling a band that reunited hey hey this year with with 2020 being such a shit year with concert cancellations a pandemic an election that could mean the end of the world to many people in the united states and just about everything else going to hell in the world this band came back together and released a brand new album just a couple weeks ago and it's fantastic and the band i am talking about is connor oberst and the indie rock darlings that are Bright Eyes. And as I said before, they released their brand new album, Down in the Weeds, world where the world once was just a couple weeks ago. And it is not only a great album, it has not only returned a form for Bright Eyes, I believe it's going to show up on my BC Dozen list for albums of the year in 2020. And mark your calendars because sometime in December, I will be posting a best of 2020, and I will be including my lovely wife, JC, who will have her own best of list. And we're going to make this a joint effort sometime in December. So make sure you pay attention to that. I'm done rambling. So before we get into the rankings, you know what we have to do. I have to do this. It's a regular occurrence. Let's take a look at a brief history of Bright Eyes. formed in 1995 when connor oberst was merely 15 years old bright eyes released their debut album a collection of songs written and recorded from 1995 to 1997 in 1998 and promptly followed that up eight months later that year with letting off the happiness during this time connor oberst experimented with drum machines synthesizers and keyboards with the release of 2000s fevers and mirrors they incorporated flute, piano, and an accordion. We'll talk more about that later on this episode. Lifted received national attention and was hailed by critics as an artist to watch for in 2002. During the 2004 election, Bright Eyes toured with Springsteen and R.E.M. on the Vote for Change tour, increasing the public eye on Bright Eyes. On January 25th, 2005, the United States saw two album releases that were released to both critical acclaim in the form of I'm Wide Awake, It's Morning, and Confusion in the form of Digital Ash and a Digital Urn. Bright Eyes went on hiatus on November 21st, 2011 and reunited January 20th, 2020 and released Down in the Weeds, where the world once was on August 21st. To this day, Bright Eyes consists of the three original members that started in 1995, Connor Oberst, Mike Mogus, and Nate Walcott. And now that you know a little bit about Bright Eyes, let's get into the rankings. It's so hard to believe that Bright Eyes has released 10 albums in the course of 25 years, but this week we're only counting down nine of those albums. Why? Because one of those albums is a Christmas album. And as my rules go for this particular podcast, live albums, box sets, greatest hits, and yes, Christmas albums do not count. So with that said, we're starting our countdown at number nine with Casadaga from 2007, named after the town of Casadaga, Florida, which is a community of mediums and followers of spiritualism. Uh, this particular album features the first single, Four Winds. And I have to say, I can honestly say without shame, this is, if not, the best song, One of the best songs that Connor Oberst has ever written, either as a solo artist or in the band Bright Eyes. I love this song. I honestly cannot... I could not stop listening to it when I first heard it in 2007. And here we are in 2020. I still think it's a fucking great song. So why do I have Casa Daga at the bottom of the list? Because like I said, this is a great song. But Four Winds is the only good song on this album. Otherwise, the album as a whole is just way too over the top a little way too bombastic for my liking to the point where it just sounds ridiculous and yeah I I can't stress that enough the album as a whole it, it really isn't that good I think it's just way too over the top for my liking it seemed like it was just trying to be almost big budget sounding A different, like a remake of I'm Wide Awake or Lifted or any of their earlier material, and it just kind of fell flat. I should point out that Johnny Depp called Casadaga one of his favorite albums of 2007, and honestly, you should just consider the fucking source. That was a clip of one of the other singles on the album. I think it was like the only only other single released off the album, If the Break Man Turns My Way. It's okay, but it doesn't really do much for me. Neither did songs like Hot Knives or anything off that album. Four Winds was the best song on the album. And for good reason. It even cracked the top uh, 15 on the adult alternative charts and the top 25 on the regular alternative charts. It's a shame because yeah, honestly, I thought the four wins EP was far superior to Casa Daga, uh, but I don't count EPs. So wh- what can I say? Your best bet is trying to find that EP and listening to that instead of Casa Daga. I'm sorry. I'm not a fan. I know there are some people who thought this album was great. I am not one of those people. And that's all I have to say about Gasadaga. So let's move right on up to number eight, album number two in their career, Letting Off the Happiness.
1: of Weneca, California where they understand the weight of human hearts and the is, I've been of place.
0: Mike Mogus another member of bright eyes produced this album by then he had become a permanent member of the band this album only being the second album of their career, seemed more focused and had a clearer sound than their debut album, which we'll get to a little bit later in this episode. Uh, This album featured other members of artists that were on the Saddle Creek record label, included members of groups Lullaby for the Working Class, Neutral Milk Hotel, and Of Montreal, uh, all incorporated on this album. One track that really stood out, and we'll come back to that song much, much later on this episode, is Patrick, My Prince, which is a dramatic but fictional account of the death of his baby brother. As depressing as the lyrics are on this song, I mean, it, it tells a really a really uh, powerful story. There's a multitude of symbolic meanings in Patrick My Prince. And like I said uh, just a few seconds ago, we're gonna go back to this song on a later album, which we'll be talking about on this episode. Uh, more people seem to like this one a lot more than the first album. And I can, I can see why, but I am not one of those people. I have a different take on many albums from different artists. Uh, it tends to annoy people, but uh, you probably figured that out already. Otherwise, you wouldn't have listened all the way to this uh, 12th episode, most recent episode. <laughs> and for that, I, I thank you for still listening. Uh, I don't know. It's good. And it was clearly... It was clearly a sign of things to come for the band. Uh, We're just going to keep on rolling here at number seven from 2011, The People's Key. This was the final album in the career of Bright Eyes before they would go on hiatus. A hiatus which would last nine years. I should note that this is the lowest rated album in the Bright Eyes discography on Pitchfork. Out of a 10-point rating, this got a 5.0. Casadaga got 6.7. Now, I have to say, I liked The People's Key a lot more than I did Casadaga. But, I have to admit... This was not how I want to remember the band if they had never gotten back together. If The People's Key wound up being the final album of The Bright Eyes legacy, wow, that would have been a huge waste.
1: You'll be there the one's Kiss the feet of
0: In an interview promoting The People's Key, Connor Oberst had said, quote, We're over the Americana, rootsy, whatever that sound is. People say country, but I never thought we were very country at all. But whatever that element is or that aesthetic is, I guess it's worn a little thin for me these days. So we very much wanted it to be rocking and for lack of a better term, contemporary or modern. Uh, The song I just played for you, ladder song, it definitely wasn't rocking, but uh, contemporary or modern, I'd have to say so. Uh, As far as uh, wearing thin on the Americana roots rock, it definitely showed that there wasn't, there was a lack of heart on the People's Key. Now, while I put Casadaga lowest, and I still stand by that, uh, the difference between Casadaga and the People's Key, while Casadaga was just over-the-top ridiculous in their production, the People's Key at least... Uh, it was stripped down, but you could tell this was a sign of a band that was just wearing out. And from 2000 to 2000, uh, from around 2000 to 2007, excuse me, I lost my train of thought. Bright Eyes was pretty much on top as far as indie rock goes and as far as uh, music critics have gone. He really delivered home runs from 2000 all the way up to Casadaga. And the People's Key just showed wear and tear in the band. And it's really a shame that this was how Bright Eyes stepped away from the spotlight. And I'm glad that it was a hiatus and not a complete demise of the band. Because, like I said, if People's Key was how... If this wound up being the final album, I probably would have ranked this much lower and the band would have left a bad taste in my mouth for years to come. And thankfully uh, that has not happened and they are back together and we will get into those particular albums, including the new one in just a bit until then hang tight. just whizzing right through these albums, so I'm going to do my best to uh, have a little bit more information from numbers 6 through 4, and we are at number 6 in the history of Bright Eyes. Uh, My pick for number 6 is the debut album from Bright Eyes. It's called A Collection of Songs Written and Recorded 1995 to 1997. It was released at the beginning of the year, in 1998. By this time, Oberst had written 20 songs and it really showed that he has written far, far better material as he got older. Uh, Keep in mind, he was 15 when he started this band and when he started writing these songs, but by then he had dissolved his first project, Commander Venus, at the time of the album's release. Like I said, it could only go up from here. (gasps) Uh, Nothing says emo angst like a title called The Awful Sweetness of Escaping Sweat, eh? Look, I get the negative reviews and comments about this album over the years, but I have to say I rather enjoyed the goofiness of it all, the lyrical content, although stupid beyond belief. You have to remember, Connor was only 15 when he started writing these songs. He has gotten much better, much better over time. And, you know, I, I'm sorry. Uh, I, People think I should have put this at the bottom of the list, but this is my list. I rank them however the hell I want to. And I have the debut album, the one you Bright Eyes fans hate. I have it at number six. Deal with it. fun fact about this album this may have been the first album under the name bright eyes this was the 19th album release on the saddle creek record label uh, as you noticed in the couple of songs we played off this album there was also a mix of synth and acoustic guitar and while i agree as a whole a collection of songs 95 to 97 is very choppy it was a sign that at This kid, at the time he was a kid, he had potential to succeed. He basically kept going and going and going. And that acoustic synth mix would only get better down the road. And we'll be talking about that later on in this episode. But for now, we're going to jump into the top five. Can you believe we are already in the top five? It's it's amazing. Uh, coming in at number five is the first of two albums that were released by Bright Eyes on January twenty fifth, two thousand five. Remember when I said in the history that uh, two albums were released to a mixture of critical acclaim and confusion? Well, this is the critically acclaimed half of the 2005 release the acoustic album i'm wide awake it's morning and you know it's solid i really enjoy this album and the digital ash album which we'll get into in just a bit but my god even then i just really i think it was a combination of those two albums from 2005 that turned me into a fan for life,
1: remember the time drove all night just to meet me in the morning? And I thought it was strange. You said everything changed, you felt as if you just woke up, and you said, This is the
0: I'm Wide Awake, It's Morning, and Digital Ash in a Digital Urn were the first Bright Eyes albums in which Connor Oberst, Mike Mogus, and Nate Walcott became the three permanent members of the band. Wide Awake also featured Emmy Lou Harris on backup vocals on three Of the 10 tracks on this album. We Are Nowhere and It's Now. Another traveling song. And one of my favorite songs. Off the album. And of all time. Landlocked Blues. Now before I play a little bit. I do have a personal story. To share. Uh, This was the song. That Bright Eyes kicked off his set. On the Vote for Change Tour. I remember being at the XL Energy Center. In St. Paul. October 5th. 2004, it was Springsteen, R.E.M., John Fogarty, and Bright Eyes, and a special appearance from Neil Young. And let me tell you something, folks. It doesn't get any more rock and roll than... You know, I, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm going to save that story for another episode. There will be a Springsteen episode. I'm going to save that part of the story for the Springsteen episode. So you just have to wait a little longer. But let because this is a Bright Eyes episode. Uh, as I was saying, uh, Bright Eyes toured with Springsteen and REM for the Vote for Change tour uh, in 2004 in support of the then Democratic candidate, John Kerry, the, the guy that married into the catch uh, up money. Yeah, he married a guy, married a woman named Hines. Uh, we all know how that ended. But Bright Eyes kicked off the show, and he kicked off his set with Landlocked Blues. Most of the songs he did in the 30 30 minutes that he had performed would all end up being on I'm Wide Awake, It's Morning, six months after this concert. And I have to say, uh, the kid delivered. His energy and his attitude just showed... You know, he was just way too mature for his age, but holy shit, with a song like Landlocked Blues, he was not fucking around. This is just a beautiful album from start to finish. At this point, Oberst was barely old enough to drink at the time of this album's release. And in a concert where Springsteen, R.E.M., and Neil Young were the headliners, Bright Eyes really held their own, and Oberst showed what he was capable of, not just in a live setting with a huge sold-out crowd. He was able to hold his own in an arena setting. This is the type of guy that performed in clubs and small venues. And here he was in fucking arenas across the country, trying to get people to vote for John Kerry and just his, his set I thought was very underrated. I mean, amidst the REM and the Springsteen and the Fogarty bright eyes, I thought was, amazing live and i really hope when concerts get back up and running i do hope bright eyes tours the new album which we'll get into in just a bit i promise because if you've ever seen if you've ever seen them in concert you know bright eyes puts on a good show but if you haven't when concerts get back up and running and they tour and they come to your area do check them out if you love indie rock if you love acoustic folk and just a little bit of angst in between. Check them out. You can thank me later. It's just the biggest cram about this album. This is their only top 10 album in their 25 year career. I'm Wide Awake It's Morning is their only top 10 album. And it peaked at number 10. Uh, one final highlight from this album before we get uh, into the number four spot is Road to Joy. Obviously, uh, it's sung to the tune of Ode to Joy, but oh my God, does he make a political statement beyond belief. Take a listen to the last minute of this song. Uh-huh.
1: Boys, but failures always sounded better. Let's fuck it up, boys. Make some noise!
0: He closed with this song at the Vote for Change set, so it only made perfect sense that he closed I'm Wide Awake It's Morning with Road to Joy. And, hey, it was the last line in the song, too. So the album title, last line in the song, good thinking, Connor. Good thinking. And with that said, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, we are at the number four spot. And that new album that came out a couple weeks ago, yeah, Uh uh-huh. I have it that freaking high on my list. It is incredible. The name of the album is Down in the Weeds, Where the World Once Was, released just two weeks ago. It was powerful enough and just amazing from start to finish that, yeah, I mean, it's not only probably going to be on my year-end list. I have it at number four as one of their best albums. I have it in my top five for best Bright Eyes albums at number four. This was the first album in nine years for the band. And boy, if you listen to songs like Mariana Trench on here, they did not miss a beat as far as their sound goes.
1: friend at all. My enemies, they had my back against the wall. Oh, cowardice, what a coward does. I suppose maybe I always was, but I'm sick of it. I've had enough and now I'm ready for
2: the war.
0: This was the bright eyes fans had been wanting to hear again since the early 2000s. And this was clearly in- an inspired album with all that's happened in the world in the last few years, including this year. It starts off so ominous, though, with the page-turner's rag. It's got that nightclub setting uh, set in, I assume, Mexico or somewhere in Latin America because the uh, MC ha- is speaking in Spanish. And the page-turner's rag is essentially a plethora of of conversations happening at various tables, uh, the bar and everything. And it's just so hypnotic, but yet so sad. Just the conversations that are included on this one. I, I mean, I if I could get away with it, I would play the whole album, but I can't. Uh, you really do need to take a listen to the album. Page Turner's Rag It's not even a song, it is an intro, and boy, it just grabs you by the throat and doesn't let go. This album was the return of Americana, of the Americana sound that uh, they were famous for, and this was a bright light in the darkness of this year. And let me tell you something, ladies and gentlemen, it doesn't get any better than... My opinion, my favorite song on the album, Hotline Bling. Take a listen. Two,
1: three, one, two, three. Out of the blue, saw you fall down the stairs. It was me pushing
0: you. You used to call me on my cell phone. Of course I'm kidding, it's not hotline bling. I know that's a Drake song, but what I just played for you is called Pan and Broom. And just the simpleness of that beat, of that drum beat that does sound very similar to Hotline Bling, it was far different than anything that they have recorded at that point. I don't I don't know. I mean it's it okay, it's really not my favorite song in the album, but it's definitely up there I really I I dug it it's I have a feeling that's gonna split people down the middle split the bright eyes fans down the middle some people are gonna really love it some people are going to question why this song is on here but I don't know here let me play just a little bit more of this I told you that synth and acoustic mixture was uh, was going to improve since collection of songs was released back in 1998. It really showed. This, I my favorite song on here. No jokes, no jokes. My favorite song on here was the first single on the album Persona Non Grata.
1: God knows you never would
0: lie to yourself. this album show that the band was still needed not just by indie rock fans who still have the strokes is this it or turn on the bright lights spinner, or pull or even lifted or fevers and mirrors in their collection and ignored everything else that came out after that no uh This band was definitely needed by more than just the indie rock fans. Uh, Those that love a little bit of politics in their roots rock and Americana music. Yeah, it was definitely needed. The sound is, you could tell just from Mariana Trench and Pan and Broom and Persona Non Grata. The sound has also evolved, but it's also more restrained. And for some bands, that would be the kiss of death. But when you're Connor Oberst and in the band Bright Eyes, it actually works in their favor. I said it earlier in the show. And as we started talking about this down in the weeds where the world once was, is a top contender for album of the year. And come December when the BC dozen where I count down my top 12 favorite albums of the year uh, airs, there's a good chance this album is going to make the cut. So be sure you're listening to that episode in December. Because you're, there's gonna be a lot of surprises on this one. There's already a lot of surprises on this list, but I have a feeling you're gonna be surprised with the albums that I put on my list come December. So if you have not heard Down in the Weeds, where the world once was, get on that now. We are almost done with this list on Bright Eyes, and we are at the number three spot. And coming in at number three is an album that came out in the year 2000. No Conan O'Brien jokes, please. Now, as I mentioned before when I was talking about I'm Wide Awake, It's Morning, after seeing Bright Eyes perform in concert in 2004 in St. Paul, a co-worker at a place I had worked at the time loaned me what he believed to be Bright Eye's Best Album. At the time, I was inclined to agree with that. And, yeah, this the album that I'm about to play for you, well, the album that we're going to be talking about, I should say, I I can't disagree. It really is a tour de force in itself. And the album I am talking about is the critically acclaimed cult classic, Fevers and mirrors I have to say, it's it really sucks you in despite the slow opener. Spindle, Darkness, A Fever, and A Necklace. And boy, I really did not know what I was getting myself into when I was listening to this album. It goes into an even more darker tune, A Scale, A Mirror, and Those Indifferent Clocks. This is going to be a recurring theme for this album, Clocks. And time and it goes into the third track and one of uh, the highlights of this album in my humble opinion i have to say one of Ober's best tunes comes from this album the calendar hung itself is the name of that song <sighs> It's a, it's a tour de force, as far as this album is concerned. Uh, this album also incorporated flute, accordion, and piano. And while you didn't hear it in The Candle Hung Itself, it's definitely there in other tracks, such as The Movement of a Hand. Halai, halai, alai, halai. Yes, that is one of the song titles. I'm not just talking gibberish. One of the standouts on this album... Is an attempt to tip the scales. It happens at the end of the album. Now, the song is technically only two minutes long.
2: But
1: the
0: song itself clocks in at eight and a half minutes because there is an interview in this song that takes up the other six and a half. Uh, Remember when I was talking about Patrick, my prince from Happiness, coming back later on this episode? Well, they referenced this in the interview with Connor Oberst. Take a listen to this. This is one of the most fucked up things I had ever listened to. Certainly
1: different from examination or reflection or whatever form. This could be vanity or self-loathing. I I know I'm I'm guilty of both. That's interesting. Uh, How about the scale? The scale is essentially our attempt to solve our problems quantitatively through logic or rationalization.
0: It It gets more weirder. Actually, I had a great childhood my parents were wonderful. I went to Catholic school. They had have, they have money, so it, it was all easy. But basically, had everything I wanted time. Really? So some of the references, like babies in bathtubs, are not biographical? Well, I did have a brother who died in their bathtub. Drown. Actually, I had five
1: brothers on the way serious my mother drowned one every year for
0: five consecutive. what the actual fuck i that i was so difficult to wrap my head around when i first listened to this i'll be honest this was around 2004 2005 when i listened to fevers and mirrors for the first time so bear with me i was starting to get into bright eyes thanks to the springsteen concert But listening to Fevers and Mirrors for the first time, I will be honest, I thought the interview was real and mind blown. I honestly thought this was a legit interview for a long, long time. But little did I know, Connor Oberst, oh, he is one sick Son of a bitch, the interview was pretty much fake the entire time. In fact, Oberst admitted the interview was a joke about a couple years after the release of this album, and he intended to poke fun at the dark tone of the album. In fact, it's not even Connor's voice as Connor Oberst, Connor in the interview, is played by Todd Fink from the band The Faint and Ober's other project, his first project, Commander Venus. The man doing the interview is Matt Silcock, who is a former member of Saddle Creek band Lullaby for the Working Class. So can I just say I'm so glad the interview was fake, but holy shit, drowning a child in the bathtub once every five years Kind of makes you wonder. I, like I said, I thought that interview was real for a long time, and then reading more about it, learning more about Bright Eyes, he's just a sick, twisted human being. But doesn't change the fact that Fevers and Mirrors is an absolutely depressing album. And but the songwriting was much stronger compared to the earlier albums, the, the, specifically the first two. And the experimentation and the different instrumentals worked beautifully on Fevers and Mirrors. So why did I have this at number three? Well, we jump into the number two spot and the second of the two albums, Bright Eyes, released in 2005. I am talking, of course, about Digital Ash in a Digital Urn. Now, unlike Wide Awake, It's Morning, which was an acoustic album, this was an experimental album. How experimental? Uh, Well, he dabbled more in electronics. And if the first song on the album, Time Code, was any indication, you weren't getting another Wide Awake album. Sounds like a Nine Inch Nails tune, eh? Yeah, believe it or not, it came out of this kid's mouth. And compared to "Wide Awake," it's "Morning Digital Ash and a Digital Urn" received so many polarizing reviews. It's uh, not very many people that like this album, and that's really a shame because I thought "Digital Ash and a Digital Urn." I'm at the risk of angering diehard Bright Eyes fans i thought digital ash from a digital urn or excuse me digital ash in a digital urn was brilliant and i should also point out a fun fact about this album there were two singles released uh, off of each album i let me reiterate that there was one single released off of digital ash one released off of wide awake the one that was released off of digital ash was take it easy love nothing which is in my top three all-time favorite bright eyes tunes the time of the release of this album, he had the number one and number two singles in the country. Not on the Billboard Hot 100, but on the single sales charts. Remember when you could go to a uh, music store and buy singles? Yeah, good day, good times, good old days. I miss those days, actually. Well, Take It Easy peaked at number two, but Bright Eyes had his first and so far, only number one hit off of I'm Wide Awake, It's Morning. And the song that peaked at number one, not first day of my life. I would have preferred that. Not Landlocked Blues. Oh, no. This was the track. A track called Lua. model
1: with your eyes all painted black. You just keep going
0: to the bathroom. or say you'll be right. care for that song at all lua number one really i would have put take take it easy should have been the number one song i thought that was a great tune and the whole album is just remarkable while wide awake peaked at number 10 digital ash peaked at number 15 i mean great he had two albums in the top 20 that week but unlike wide awake it's uh, digital ash seemed to drop down faster out of the charts than the previous, and it's a damn shame because, as I said, it is the most unique of the two. And the also, I'm going to anger a lot of fans. Digital ash and a digital urn was the only Bright Eyes album out of those two that made my year-end list for 2005. Oh. As I've said, everybody seems to love I'm Wide Awake, It's Morning more than Digital Ash and A Digital Learn. And I, I don't understand that. I mean, yes, Wide Awake was a great album, but Digital Ash deserves so much more love. And I'm in the collective fee who prefers Digital Ash more because it was just so different from the usual Burst Fair. It was so different from the Commander Venus and the Faint albums. And I thought the electronic sounds were were so much better compared to the debut album, the collection of songs, 95, 97. You have to understand, if you listen to the Radiohead episode a couple months back, my favorite album of theirs was Kid A. So that's why I gravitated towards Digital Ash and a Digital Urn more than I did I'm Wide Awake, It's Morning. Think of it. Think of Digital Ash as Kid A for the emo crowd. Well, you know, with how how highly praising I've been towards Digital Ash and the Digital urn, you'd think that that would be my number one pick. Believe me, it was damn close. But at the end, there is one final album on this list that we're going to talk about today that just ekes out the number one spot. So what is this album? To the... Diehard Bright Eyes fans, I think you already know, but let's get right into it. Cue the music. Well it took a while but now we are at the number one spot and coming in at number one was album number four for Bright Eyes and album number 46 on the Saddle Creek record label. This was an important album in the indie rock genre and understandably so it's a fantastic album and my favorite Bright Eyes album at number one lifted or the story is in the soil keep your ear to the ground just an amazing album from start to finish especially we have songs on here like method acting This was hailed by Rolling Stone, Spin, and Blender, which was Maxim Magazine's music-oriented magazine, but those three and others hailed this as one of the best albums of 2002, and deemed Bright Eyes the best new artist of the year, even though he'd kinda sorta only been performing under that name since 1995, but hey, I'm not a corporate music magazine critic so what do I know, I guess. And it also spawned his first top 30 hit on any music chart. In this case, it was Lover, I Don't Have to Leave. cracked the top 30 on the adult alternative charts in 2002, and Lifted was also the first Bright Eyes album to chart the Billboard Top 200, debuting and peaking at number 161. Hey, it's a good start, and he only went up from here. Well, they only went up there from there. And Conor Oberst, his songwriting just got better and better from there. And this was... Th- this album lifted was the turning point. As of 2009, this album was certified gold, and it is an important part of popular culture if you are an indie rock fan. Uh, the album was referenced in a Jonathan Friends novel called Freedom, uh, and where uh, the main characters Walter and Richard attend a Bright Eyes concert in Washington, D.C. during the Lifted tour. And this shows you how important this album was at this point. It is a stunning album from beginning to end. I think the only low point on the album, and I know it it just kind of retracts what I've been saying about this album, saying it's great from beginning to end, there is only one low point, and it is at the beginning of the album, the big picture. So, I mean, it's cool if you
1: keep quiet, but I like So, will
0: It's the only low point, but even that has its moments, too. So, I can't really hate on this song or the album. Lifted is the epitome of indie rock at this point and it is still the best that connor oberson crew has ever released Uh, in addition to staying in the indie rock road they dabble in country as you had heard in method acting and even on the closing track let's not shit ourselves to love and be loved a 10-minute magnum opus It's all over the place, this song. Uh, it takes a vague stab at assessing the world situation at that point because we were under the George W. Bush administration by this time. And the song itself relates to Oberst himself. You know, I I could talk more about this, but you know, words can't really express the grandiose sound of lifted. It must be heard to be believed. While the band has come close to topping lifted on many occasions, example being the two albums in 2005 and even this year, with their solid effort down in the weeds where the world once was. Great albums, but they don't really come close or change the fact that Lifted set the bar high for both the band and indie rock as a whole. And just at 72 minutes long, and the experimentation with country on top of indie rock and acoustic folk lifted or the stories in the soil. Keep your ear to the ground is the best bright eyes album ever released. And it is my number one pick for that band. (laughs) Another random album ranking is in the books, and before we go, let's take one last recap. At number 9, I have Casadaga from 2007, Letting Off the Happiness coming in at number 8, 2011's The People's Key at number 7, Bright Eyes debut album, a collection of songs written and recorded from 1995 to 1997 at number 6. Heading into the top five at number five, the acoustic folk album, I'm Wide Awake, It's Morning, the latest, Down in the Weeds, Where the World Once Was, coming in at number four, Fevers and Mirrors, coming in at number three, Digital Ash in a Digital Urn, the Experimental Electronic album, in second place, and my pick for number one, Best Bright Eyes album, Lifted, or The Story is in the Soil. Keep your ear to the ground. Listener support is greatly appreciated on Random Album Rankings. If you're listening to this podcast on Google or Apple, please leave a comment, leave a review, five star, one star, it doesn't matter. Just leave a comment, make a review, and let us know what you think of the podcast. Let me know what I'm doing right. Let me know what I'm doing wrong. If you have any requests, The only way I will be able to honor those is if a review is made on Google or Apple. If you're listening to this on Anchor, I'm not going to uh, stress this enough. Listener support is greatly appreciated. You can even donate on Anchor.fm via the website or on the Anchor app which you can download onto your smartphone and you can donate as little as 99 cents a month, not even a buck to keep this podcast up and running. For more information, go to anchor.fm slash slash support. And that's going to do it for this week's edition of random album ranking. Tune in next week when I take another artist or band and count down their discography from worst to best. Until then, this is BC saying, the world is your oyster. Shuck it. Goodbye, everybody. You may think this idea is dumb. Well, you're wrong. It's actually random.